Steelers, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Now, here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people, to the place that everybody wants to be. You know it. You love it. It, of course, is Victory Lane. Today on the show, the Richard Petty episode, by the way. The king lives on forever and ever. We will recap Sin City. Yes, I'm fine after I was in a little, little bitty car accident on Sunday morning. But uh, nothing that you know my pride and joy and some racing can't heal. We will also preview Fontana, California this weekend and hit on the bounty that has been put out on Kyle Busch. Man, oh man, fun stuff upcoming in this episode, I'm telling you. And like I said, this is the Richard Petty edition. So the king, he lives on. Some people call him LeBron James. I call him Richard damn Petty. So as we start every episode, let's start this one no other way other than usual. Las Vegas recap. Joey Logano hits the jackpot and Mother Nature. She just can't seem to stop following the NASCAR circuit, really. I mean, what do you got to do? Go to the desert? Sounds good. Just kidding. Rain comes with you. We'll get there. But this race on Sunday, the Pennzoil 400, I think low-key a really, really good race. There was action throughout in insane restarts. I mean, if you watched that race and you did not think that those restarts were out of this world, you got another thing coming. Speaking of coming, there were a lot of comers and goers, um, and it comes down to a caution with about six laps to go, which leads to some varying pit strategy and a funny story with the race winner of Joey Logano. So are you going to pit or are you going to stay out? Do you want some fresh tires to try to carve your way back up through the field? Or do you want to risk it to get the biscuit, so to speak, and stay out on older tires and hope that there's a big buffer behind you so that the guys with fresher tires can't catch up to you? Well, Logano stays out. He gets a good restart, which leads to the win because the caution winds up coming out after he takes the white flag. And as we know with NASCAR overtime rules, once you take the white, the next flag ends the race. So as they wreck across the start-finish line, he's already taken the, the white flag at this point, crossed the timing line, Checkered and caution flags come out as they come back to the line. Joey Logano, man, 24th career win and his second straight in this particular spring race at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. And I asked him about it afterward because it seemed like there was a weird radio transmission that may or may not have taken place on the 22 radio that actually wound up keeping him in the lead. But he clarified post-race what the plan was pre-race between himself and his crew chief, Paul Wolf. And that plan was stuck to, wound up benefiting him. Davey Siegel with Front Stretch. Congratulations, guys. This could go for either of you, but was it ultimately a miscommunication on the radio that may have uh, led to you winning this race? Uh, I don't think so. Um, you know, we, were, we talked about this scenario, um, whether it's at the end of a stage or end of the race, um, at some point. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, if it comes down to the can we get clean air, um, you know, and what point are we comfortable staying out? Um, you know, so uh, Paul came over the radio and said, stick to the plan. I said, okay, I stick to the plan. <laughs> That's the, that was it. So, um, you know, ultimately it was a good, it was a good call, obviously, and um, get, got us uh, in position to, to uh, have a good restart. I had a good push with, with Ricky behind me and had a good block on the 24 once I got the push, um, you know, and, 
at that point, uh, once you get that clean air, you're in good shape. If I didn't have a good restart and got swallowed up by the field, I'd been you know had the backup lights on pretty quick. But um, you know the the call and then the execution to go together is what we need to do. So Joey talked about his crew chief Paul right there, and he wins in his second race with a new driver. He spent his entire Cup career with Brad Keselowski over on the two crew. So he brings essentially his whole team to the 22, or Joey Logano, I should say, goes to him and the two team. They just changed the number on the sponsor and the driver. And they win in their second race paired together as a driver-crew chief combo. Not a bad start, I'd say. I don't know if it makes it any easier. It's pretty hard at this level um, to win races. So um, put a lot of pressure on myself. Obviously, it's good to have um, the confidence in the driver. Um, he believes in his team and what we can do. Obviously, we've both been successful um, prior to this year, and um, we have certain things that's helped us get to where we're at, things that have worked for us in the past. So um, kind of like call it your comfort zone, if you will. Um, but what we've really tried to do in the off season is communicate a lot and try to understand, you know, kind of the strengths and weaknesses of, of each of our programs in the past maybe and just try to mesh it all together and just make, make ourselves stronger and uh, win more races than we have with our, with our teams prior. And um, obviously it's early. Um, this was kind of the first test. I mean, obviously Speed Weeks is kind of its own deal. Um, we had good cars, and I thought it all went fairly smooth. Obviously we didn't get the results we were hoping for. Um, but I knew coming out on the West Coast swing was really going to be where we're going to learn and try to understand what we need to do. Um, I thought practice went well on Friday. Um, wasn't quite as pleased, obviously, with how the car was in the race. I thought we'd be a little stronger. Um, we, we fought through it all day. Obviously, Joey did a great job keeping, keeping us up front, keeping our track position. And obviously, in these races, that's what it come, comes down to. If you keep yourself in the top five, you've put yourself in position, uh, depending on what happens how it plays out, you know, I've, I've lost plenty of them being the best car. And, um, so it just kind of all goes in full circle. And um, he, he drove a great race and, you know, we kind of had a plan, like he said, um, coming into the race, um, like him, I try to communicate with him thoughts and get his ideas and then um, kind of have a plan. Sometimes you got to change and adapt, um, but he stuck to what we had talked about and uh, obviously it paid off. And one of the guys that stayed out under that last caution was Matt DiBenedetto. And he winds up coming home in second place. I, I literally looked up at the scoreboard on Pitt Road as I was there, and I was saying, hold on, how did Matty D finish second? Um, but we caught up with him afterwards. And, you know, we remember last year at Bristol, he was very upset. He was down. He was disappointed. Don't get me wrong. He was happy for the run that he had and the chance and the opportunity. But it was more heartbreak than anything. And you saw, I mean, he had tears in his eyes. But this one was more happy rather than disappointing. And, a happy Matty D means a happy NASCAR world, that's for sure. Well, this one was an encouraging second place finish for sure. It was so cool. It's, it's just uh, too dang surreal to be driving this thing in the first place. The legendary Motocraft Quick Lane number 21. I mean, it's just uh, it's so cool to have the support of them and Menards and Ford and this whole team. It took so many people. I mean, it's so cool to be driving for the Wood Brothers. It took so many people to get me this thing. And uh, we're close. Second race of the season. Already starting off with a second place finish. That's uh, that's great. Happy for Joey and those Penske cars were uh, really fast and can't thank them enough for their help of, of our team as well. But um, we were close. Made a real aggressive move there. Greg Irwin, my crew chief, made great calls, and uh, that's what it took to get us up there and inch up there all day. Also, was not included in that soundbite, but 
he told us that he feels that the number 21 Wood Brothers team is a race-winning team, and he put the emphasis on team because when you think about Greg Irwin on top of the box, the pit crew guys picking him up when he's not doing too well on the track, and the guys back at the shop that he sees with his own two eyes working day, night, putting in extra hours in the morning, at night, skipping their lunch breaks, doing all they can do to get these cars as fast as possible to hit the racetrack, he makes that a very, very big talking point and why he thinks that 2020 is going to be a very, very good year for the 21 camp and Matty D. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. also stayed out and finished in third place. Austin Dillon did the same and finished in fourth. So in hindsight, and this is good to know for the playoff race coming back here in the summer, or in the fall, I should say, you might want to stay out if there's a caution with Thunder, I don't know, 10 to 8 laps to go or so, because it seemed like the guys that stayed out were able to hold their positions somewhat respectably. So I didn't, I was not able to catch up with Ricky, but I did catch up with Austin for a little bit, and he wound up being on the scoreboard one of the leaders in the Chevrolet Brigade, the Bowtie Brigade, as I like to call them, finishing-wise. Now, he didn't really run inside the top five or the top ten, but this is what happens at the end of the day. You put yourself in position to succeed, and you succeed. And that's what happened with Austin Dillon. So people are saying, oh, he wasn't the leader of the Chevy Chevy team all day. He just got a good finish. That's not really indicative of where he ran. Yeah, correct. But guess what? He gets the points. He gets the money. And that's what happens at the end of the day. So Austin Dillon comes home with a top five finish at a mile-and-a-half track where Chevrolet really looked impressive. Yeah, it looked like. It looked like the nine was really strong. Um, our car was, was racy. We just couldn't get track position and um, didn't have enough speed to really get there where we needed to be. But that was a good opportunity for us there at the end. A lot of people pitted. Couldn't believe that. I mean, our car really didn't fall off uh, over a long run on tires. We would start at the same lap time and just kind of stay there. So um, Spotter made the call. It got us from 15th to 6th and then 6th to 4th. So outside was huge on restarts. It's unbelievable how much momentum you can carry when you carry the outside. Uh, it's just I lost probably 10 spots in the bottom and gained 10 on the top today. So it's uh, it's really um, hard to choose that line. I really want to choose cone. I hope we start thinking toward that way. It's great race. And, I mean, it's got to be wild to watch. It's wild in a race car. A fifth-place effort for Jimmy Johnson as well, and this one, unlike Austin Dillon, I wrote fluke. This one was not a fluke by any stretch of the imagination because he ran up front all day long, all weekend long, was was fastest in final practice, I believe, and he wound up coming home with a very, very good finish, and we talked to him afterwards. This was the takeaway, I think. From this race one year ago, they left here kind of hitting the panic button and saying, okay, This Chevrolet Camaro may not be as good as we thought it was. We may be behind the eight ball more than we thought we would be, and we got to fix it now. This year, fast forward about 365 days later, they are completely on the opposite side of things, saying this Camaro, yeah, we got a a few things to iron out and figure out, but this is way, way better than the position we were in last year. And honestly, in the offseason, this is about where we thought we'd be, if not further along. They are feeling good, not hitting the panic button, and they are ready to hit 2020 head on. Strong day. Um, sadly, with probably 15 to go or so, I got on the outside wall off of two and uh, lost some spots, but didn't have a strong enough tire rub to cause any problems and uh, put rights on for that final restart. And chaos was happening in front of me, and I was able to sneak through and in advance of the you know, top five finish. What was the biggest challenge you overcame today? 
you know, we're, we're trying to understand this new Camaro body and the setup that needs to go with it. And uh, you know, we're, we're close, but there's still a little bit more work for us to do on our car and, and uh, to get the balance between clean air and in traffic closer. Um, but for the first try on a downforce track, our guys did a really nice job. Yeah, for the first quote-unquote real race of the season, all four of the Hendrick cars were really, really strong today. Chase was pretty much class of the field. Does that give you some momentum and confidence moving forward? Oh, big time. I mean, last year we left here uh, hitting the panic button, and we're pretty worried about where we were. So, uh, you know, leave here with cars that ran in the top five all day, one of our cars led. Um, you know, it's the first time on a downforce track with it. I, I know we'll be able to increase, you know, a couple percent each and every week and, and get better yet. And I assume this kind of reinforces the mantra that you had the confidence in the offseason going into your final year that this is actually real. It wasn't just talk. No, I, you know, behind the scenes, I, I could just see how things were coming together. Uh, largely the effort that Chevrolet put into this new Camaro body. The fact that the three big Chevrolet teams work so closely together to, to get the smartest people in the room and to get the best body on this race car. Um, and then also the other piece of that is just Cliff Daniels. He didn't have much time last year to get up to speed. And uh, watching him through the offseason and seeing where his mindset was and my crew's mindset, I, I knew we were going to start the year strong and 2020 is going to be a good year. Another top 10 finish for a Chevrolet driver was Bubba Wallace, and he ended up uh, putting me in my place a little bit. A solid top 10 finish for them in what was a mid-pack day, kind of per usual for the Richard Petty Motorsports gang on, of course, the Richard Petty edition of Victory Lane. But as Bubba says here, his new crew chief for the Cup Series, Jerry Baxter, he kept him cool throughout, and it prevailed for a top 10. He had a shot at the end there. Seemed pretty crazy once he got started, though. Oh, we we didn't have a shot at the win. Uh, We had a shot at a good finish, and we capitalized on that. So uh, all in all, it was was a good day and a win for us. And um just a, a good gamble call we were terrible on restarts we would it would take us 10 15 laps just to get going and get the car underneath us and then we can start kind of fighting our way up there but uh frustrating moments over the radio just trying to just trying to make this team better and uh, i know i lose my cool a little bit but one of the main reasons i brought jerry baxter in is to to calm me down and, and to show that light at the end of the tunnel and so every time i'd fire back and he's like i get it dog you're, you're fine we're gonna be fine and and uh, he was right so it was a good call by the team and everybody involved coke energy appreciate them coming on board for this race it, it was a great outing and uh, it shows like we were running on some coke energy out there now we'll get to chase elliott and martin Truex jr in a minute but they were kind of the class of the field for the long runs, which is what you had most of the day, Kevin Harvick was the best car on the short run, and I don't think there's any debate in that. He made up around seven or so spots on one lap coming to the white flag, and if it was a short run at the end, and if he had track position, maybe starting inside the top five, I think it would have been very interesting because he was among the couple forwards that ran inside the top five all day long, Logano being among them, Blaney, Keselowski as well. None of his really SHR teammates ran up front, but it was more so of the Penske uh, gang, threesome, I should say, of Blaney, Logano, and Keselowski. Of course, Blaney ended up having the lead late. Bowman was charging, but then that caution kind of made everything go haywire, and Keselowski was really strong at the start, and Logano, of course, going to victory lane. But let's hear from Kevin overall, because his day was very, very solid, despite the finish that doesn't really show where he ran all day long, which was inside of the top five, and in the top three, a good day overall, and a solid points day as well. No playoff points for him because he did not win a stage and he did not win the race, but those will come in time with performances like this. There would have been some of us that, that got back close to the lead by the time we got off of turn four. Um, you know, I think we, I don't even know where we restarted, but we were seventh or so going into turn one there on the last lap with a big head of steam and just uh, 
caution came out. So our car was, our uh, Bushlight Ford was uh, was really good on the short runs. We just kind of lost the handling as we would get deep in those runs, and that, that kind of hurt us. But uh, it came down to what we wanted there at the end. We just got too far back. You got a feel for Chase Elliott and Martin Truex Jr. too. Let, let's talk about the latter one first. So Truex has one of the best cars all day for Joe Gibbs Racing, which was very interesting as well because Kyle Busch, a non-factor pretty much all day. Denny Hamlin, a non-factor pretty much all day. Eric Jones, a non-factor pretty much all day. Truex was the only Joe Gibbs racing car, the only Toyota for that matter, that was really competitive. Christopher Bell got into a wreck uh, late in the race. Daniel Suarez had some ignition issues with the ECU box uh, on the initial start of the race. So Truex was leading for a little bit, and on a restart, he kind of got in in bad position because of a bad pit stop. Um, And I think he wound up being blocked by Kurt Busch on the straightaway, which wound up cutting one of his tires, and he hit the wall, and his car was never the same. So that kind of handed the race over to the other dominant car, which was the 9 of Chase Elliott. Again, going back to the Chevrolet prominence and dominance on Sunday of Hendrick Motorsports specifically. But he had an issue as well. Right after a pit stop, he had a flat tire, spun out, uh, tapped the wall a little bit, and his car was never the same either. So you had two of the best cars on Sunday run into issues that happened from flat tires that happened with just organic on-track racing. But unfortunately, their finishes did not really reflect where they ran all day long. But like I said at the top, I think this is a low-key, really, really entertaining, interesting race. I, overall, you look at the storylines. Chevrolet, wow. They they were really impressive. Toyota, Wow, really unimpressive and maybe worrisome if they don't pick up their slack here this weekend in Fontana and the following weekend in Phoenix. But I think a couple people mentioned this, that they were talking to some crew chiefs as the season went on, as the offseason went on, I should say. And the crew chiefs basically said, once we have our West Coast cars built, they're not going to change. And the only thing that we will be able to change is the stuff at the track. But we're not going to be able to change how the cars are built for those West Coast swing races the first race that we'll be able to implement the changes that we think should be put in place would be Atlanta when they come back from the West Coast swing. But Joey Logano's off to a rousing start when it comes to the West Coast swing. Las Vegas, check. He wants to check off Fontana and Phoenix before they go back east. And I mentioned how Mother Nature follows NASCAR. <sighs> Jeez, what does the Xfinity Series and Davey Siegel got to do to get a break here? So Chase Briscoe winds up getting the victory in that race. After it concludes on Sunday, after the cup race, there were 50 laps done on Saturday, and then the other 150 were run after the conclusion of the cup race on Sunday. The number 98 for Stuart Haas Racing gets that dub. And my friend Jeff Gluck and I, we were walking down to the infield during the cup race in the final stage, and Chase is actually with us walking down. He was on the spotter stand watching, and he said that the restarts were just insane. And I, I told him, I was like, hey. Maybe you can learn something for, for you tonight. And he said, maybe. And I think that he did that pretty well. So one of the championship favorites is off to a very, very good resounding start in 2020. Yeah, I mean, it's so early, but definitely it's nice to to get a win early. Um, you know, I think obviously we, we were hoping that we could get a win at some point through the year and we expected to, but to get it before Phoenix definitely is nice just because we can go there and kind of try some stuff um, because I feel like I definitely, that's one place I need to get way better at. So uh, with that being said, yeah, it's nice to take the point lead. I mean, it doesn't mean as much uh, this early in the season, like you said. But, yeah, it's good confidence booster for all the guys. And, you know, it goes a long way when you're that first garage stall with, with your guys and their work ethic and everything else. And, 
you know, we we knew that we could go win races, but to, you know, get one this early in the year, I think it'll go a long way, especially on this West Coast swing. It's hard to stay motivated. And for us to, to win the first one, that definitely goes a long way, like I said. His main challenger was Austin Sindrick and probably will be for the remainder and the uh, main portion of the season in the 22 for Team Penske. He was one of the quickest guys all day, but it wound up coming down to track position at the end that kind of did him in. Close but no cigar, it seemed like. What was the difference at the end, you think? Uh, track position always helps, especially uh, for whatever reason. I found it strange the track never took any rubber today, even in the cup race. Um, so lane uses didn't move around a lot. Light, white line was really sticky today, so I had to wrap the line. And, uh, yeah, just too tight in traffic to, to finish it off. Tried to tried to hang it on his door wide open at the end. But, uh, yeah, like I said, track position sensitive for sure. Myatt Snyder and Noah Graxon got into a little bit of a scuffle on track, too. It from my view, it seemed like a blatant dump by the 9 to the 21, uh, but I wanted to get Noah's perspective on it after the race, and I saw them have a friendly conversation, shall we say. So here he was. And it looks like you and Maya had a conversation there. Can you also take us on what happened on track? Yeah, he was just asking me what my favorite flavor of Black Ralph coffee is, and I told him vanilla. Um, I also like the... Um, they got an AK um, coffee blend, which is really good. So um, he asked me if I could get him a discount code, and I told him I would later this week and uh, went to give him a fist bunk. But, uh, yeah, so we'll get uh, we'll back get back on it next weekend at uh, Auto Club Speedway and super fortunate to be able to be racing for Junior Motorsports right now. How about on track? Can you just tell us what happened from your perspective? Uh, no, I, we were trying to side jab each other, just uh, come down late in the race. And through the trial, well, you don't – like the cars are so set up to be uh, – in the corner so when you go through the trial you just don't have very much load pretty much everywhere you go so um it kind of just the air when you're going 190 miles an hour it just kind of sucked me up into him and um i don't know if he came down or if i i went up or what the deal was but uh yeah i hate it for those guys um but we uh we came out with the top five finish and uh super proud and fortunate to be on this race team he's a funny guy ain't he (laughs) We love him for it. And let's also give a call to Ryan Sieg. He was super quick. I, I literally was paying half attention to the race because I was working on my cup post-race stuff, and I had to hit the road quickly after the conclusion of Xfinity to deal with my car troubles and pack and everything and see some family. And I went down to the cafeteria, and my buddy Dalen Barr, who will be on an upcoming episode, by the way, my man's, I, I asked him, I was like, yo, is Sieg up there on speed? He said, yeah. I was like, are you sure? He's like, yeah. I thought it was a pit strategy or a gamble that put the 39 up there, but and then we actually found out afterwards that Austin Dillon, who was in the booth for that race with Fox Sports 1, that car that RSS Racing had for Ryan Sieg, that was the car that Austin Dillon went to victory lane with in the Xfinity Series, I think four or five years ago in the Xfinity Series. So that's kind of a cool tie-in. But that was a really good run for him. I believe he finished in third place, um, one shy of tying his career best finish. And I'm telling you what, man. If Ryan keeps up these results this early in the season, I think that inevitable win and the keyword inevitable will come for him in 2020. Yeah, for sure. You know what I mean? I, I was surprised. I didn't know what, what we kind of had. You know what I mean? This is um, we, this is kind of a newer car, uh, a, a generation different than what we ran last year. And uh, we, the Cowboy and, and um, Big Mike, they, they put it together pretty good. And uh, we did tweaks on it and from our last year's car. So we've, we've kind of combined two and made it one. And uh, it, it ran really really good all night and uh so it was a excellent day cmr roofing for coming on uh and staying on with us and uh, all through the year so uh can't thank them enough but um plenty more to come we were pretty good at california last year we got stuff from there so uh should be even better now we kind of know what we got so it's exciting to go 
to the next few races here. And off to the Gander Outdoors Truck Series. Just kidding, the Gander RV and Outdoors Truck Series. How dare I? Kyle Busch wins the Strat 200. Shocker, I know. His seventh consecutive truck win dating back to the 2018 season. He swept them all last year. He won one in 2018 to end the season, and he wins this one to start 2020. Ain't no thing but a chicken wing for Rowdy. So I wanted to know, is it as easy as he's making it look? Davey Siegel with Front Stretch right here, Kyle. Um, Numbers-wise, in your seven wins, you've led 73% of the laps. That's 726 of 989. Does it feel that easy to you in the car? I mean, those numbers are pretty astounding. Uh, I mean, we certainly work really, really hard. Uh, it wasn't like we unloaded and knew that we had a great piece and that we were just going to go out there and dominate like that. We work for it. They, these guys do. Uh, all the preparation at the shop comes a long way um, with, with Danny, with with Rudy, with Hillman, um, you know, the guys we've had in the past as well, too. So um, it's just been really, really cool, the, the equipment that we have going right now. Um, and then, obviously, just uh, the talent also that we have right now. Our, our groups of guys, the, the core of them, have been together now for a long time, and it's nice to, to keep some, some familiarity around KBM uh, with the faces that are there and, and bring in some experience like Stockman here to be able to uh, help facilitate growing uh, the 51 team to a, to a top-notch team. It was best in class for Johnny Sauter, who came home second, and uh, he won the race for runner-up, and <laughs> he pretty much admitted as much afterwards as well. Nobody was catching the 51 of Kyle Busch. Seems like it was a race for second with Kyle in the field. At least he won that. Yeah, no, it, uh, I thought we had something for him there uh, after the last pit stop because our truck was phenomenal for about 10, 12, 15 laps there, and uh, then he just turned the afterburners on. So, um, you know, we started out way too loose, and uh, Joe and the guys did a great job on our 10 to Ford F-150. Um, you know, I thought we were in trouble there for a while. We were back 15th, and then uh, just, you know, essentially drove back to the front. So um, just wish we could run with Kyle, but uh, he was just a little better tonight. Give a call to Tanner Gray and tip your hat to this man because he has had a very, very rough and tumble last three weeks from the crash at New Smyrna, overheating in the ARCA race at Daytona, some bad luck in the truck race at Daytona as well. He finally got a good finish after some bad luck that just seemed to follow him and DGR. So, Tanner, we're happy for you here, buddy. Yeah, no, it, it definitely is. And uh, yeah, I feel like I've struggled a little bit on the mile and a half as far as, like, racing and just being there at the end of a run. So, um, yeah, I mean, all in all, it feels good. I feel like we kind of over-adjusted there on the last stop and just got it a little bit too free. So, um all in all, I'm happy with the way everything went and just got to keep learning and get better and just keep, getting, just keep doing it. Not his first full year in the Truck Series, but his first full year with a new team of Front Row Motorsports in the Truck Series with, of course, a lot of help from DGR Crosley, his father's team. Todd Gilliland, he comes home with the top 10, and in a day and a weekend where there were a lot of changes made to his truck, top 10 seems like a pretty, pretty solid result given all the circumstances. I think it uh, made us a lot tougher. Um... You know, we changed four springs, four shocks before this race, and we still went out there and qualified 25th. So um, that's something that could definitely just put everyone down to where they can't get back up. But um, really proud of our team. Um, we kept fighting all day. Um, I think that really shows the, the attitude and the determination of, uh, of everyone, and uh, we all just want to go win. So uh, we're going to keep working hard, bring a better truck to uh, Atlanta, and uh, just keep uh, clicking them off. It might not show in the box score or the stat sheet, like a 10th place finish, saying, okay, whatever. 
But the guy who impressed me the most besides Kyle Busch, because he just does that with regularity, was Sheldon Creed for GMS Racing because he ran side-by-side for what seemed like five to ten laps straight, I think on the inside of Kyle Busch. I forget if it was the inside or the outside, but he ran him hard. And people were saying, oh, Kyle's probably saying, oh, damn, what's he doing? But he said afterwards, you know, hey, he was he was doing what he had to do, but he burnt this stuff up a little bit too much, trying to hold on for dear life, and Kyle just out-veteraned him, out-equipmented him, out-talented him. Uh, I think I made all three of those words up, but you get the point. Uh, Sheldon Creed really was impressive, um, and, you know, he he had that, uh, that success in the Arkham Menard series. He's had some success last year in the Truck Series, but this year we're looking at Sheldon, at least I am, as a, as a playoff contender and a guy who's going to be contending to win races multiple weeks this year. Made adjustments um, and worked my way back to second on that on that restart. And I was like, man, I can actually be aggressive now, so this is nice, and just seeing where we could go and what we could do. And I knew my restarts were really good, and when he chose the bottom to go with me, um, I was with him. I was going to push him. We got clear to 13. I, like, faked him high and got low and ran side by side, I don't know, eight laps, ten laps, and... I got to the point where I could run wide open uh, behind him, but Kyle's so good and he's so smart. Like every time I'd almost get clear, he'd pull me right back, and I could feel myself getting freer and freer as we went there. And I knew, I knew if I wasn't careful, I was gonna get loose, and I ended up getting loose underneath him and lost a few spots. And then it just seemed like if I if I spun him once, um, it would just get worse and worse. And by the end of the race, I couldn't even turn left. So. Um, I've been working so hard on my craft this year and, and in the gym and just everything in general. So it's nice to see that my racing is getting better and uh, has battled with, for the lead with one of the best. So that's that's cool and that's um, some confidence boosting for, for Atlanta. But uh, i got some work to do in the shop for sure with our trucks. We've made gains, but uh, now we need to find a balance again. So Before we get to the bounty, which there's some breaking news tonight as I'm recording this on Thursday evening at NBC Sports Washington, Sorry for the delay this week, guys. Obviously getting home from Vegas on Monday and then had to see the girlfriend on Tuesday and then had to work Wednesday and today Thursday as well. Uh, So that's why it's a little late. Peek behind the curtain. But before we get to the bounty, we got to talk about the Star Nursery 150 at The Boring at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. I hope you enjoyed and heard that voice crack of mine. So it was an Arkham Menard Series West race, but an Arkham Menard Series East and Sioux Chief Showdown slash Arkham Menard's regular, national, whatever you want to call it, competitor, stole the show, and we pretty much all saw it coming. Sam Mayer dominates the race, leads all but 12 laps, and honestly, why, why didn't he just lead all of them? I don't I don't think Sam and I are on good terms anymore because I said that he was going to lead all the laps, and he let me down, made me look bad. Joking aside, though, he really put a whooping on him. Him and Marty Lindley and GMS Racing overall, I mean, it. It literally, whenever they show up to the track, they are a threat to win, and they are the favorite to win. And that was not anything out of the ordinary on Thursday night at the Bullring. Two for two to start 2020 back-to-back for Sam Mayer at GMS Racing. Uh, I have some beef to squash with you because I said you're going to lead every lap, and I don't have the stats in front of me, but I think you didn't lead four, so what the hell? What was going on? It's pretty much Iowa all over again. All <laughs> you let me down, Sam. All but four, man. That was so close. <laughs> They, yeah, the 19 was going pretty hard there yeah. at the beginning, and uh, you could see he was sideways off the corner on lap six. So I was just like, you know what, you can you can go have your fun leading some laps, and uh, <laughs> he came back to me pretty quick. So 
Uh, I can't thank everyone at GMS enough for all they do for me. I mean, having the Spencer Clark Foundation and just the idea of Spencer Clark being on the car is just really, really special to everyone over at GMS, like Mike Beam and Mark Gallagher and Spencer Gallagher. I mean, uh, I, I never had a connection with him because I never knew him because he passed away when I was two years old. Uh, but I'm starting to feel a connection just being with the team, and uh, that's something really special to me, and uh, I'm definitely going to think about this one for as long as I live. That's what I was going to say. The, the fastest car won tonight, but I think by far nobody will question the best-looking car won tonight. I mean, driving this thing, I know it was a rocket ship, but it had that much more meaning for you specifically tonight. I mean, that's why you guys came out here to the West Coast in the first place. Yeah, it's just a really special thing to do. And uh, we're going to have, I think we're going to have this scheme for Phoenix too because it's a close neighbor to here. And I uh, uh, just want to keep it on there as long as we can because it just looks so good. Uh, but just like I said before, having a, having the foundation on, it's an, it's an amazing foundation for young racers. And uh, it's just really special. And uh, I feel like I relate to it. So that's why, that's why I love it so much. Let's get back to the race for a second. You mentioned tire conservation, and we talked about that going into the race. You said you kind of let the 19 to Jesse Love get in front and burn his stuff up and eventually came back to you, and I was listening to your guys' radio chatter, and it seemed like that was kind of a point of emphasis that you guys were trying to hit on throughout the race. So how do you think you did managing your tires? And it obviously paid off, but how big of a factor was that, and how big, how much were you thinking about that in your mind throughout the race? Uh, I'll tell you, that last caution, uh, I was pretty scared because yeah. i i was going pretty hard there i heard was, you ask Ashton Crucci like, of how his tires were yeah it was like 10 to go so at that point yeah. you're you're going hard so i'm burning my stuff up too and it's just uh, that caution scared me so <laughs> he definitely got a better restart that last one just because i think i used up my stuff a little more than he did towards the end he has his tires had a chance to cool down because he kind of calmed down towards the middle of the race whereas i i didn't i just kept going so uh that was something that i definitely have to learn uh get in my head just if you're clear by half a straightaway, you just calm down. It's okay. It can all go bad that quick. Yeah. So that's something I have to learn. We kind of got lucky this time. But uh, like I said, I can't thank GMS Racing, uh, Driver's Edge Development, and Chevrolet, and the Spencer Clark Foundation for being on here. And um, uh, this is really special. Next time, get those four laps, okay? Yeah, I'll, I'll get you. Okay. <laughs> he's a man of few words, but he's the man who makes it all happen. Crew Chief Marty Lindley for Sam Mayer. And I talked with him briefly in Victory Lane, and I wanted to highlight something because last year scanning the radio, it seemed like Marty kept telling him, Sam, be sure to do this, be sure to do this, be better at this, learn from this. And this year, although it's only two races in and he has two wins, two for two, as I said, it seems like he's not saying, do this, learn this. It seems like he's saying, remember this and good job a little more. Two for two to start 2020 for GMS Racing, Sam Mayer, and the man that leads the ship is Marty Lindley. These cars are pretty fast. Sam Mayer's a great driver, but what does it say about your team to come out and dominate the first two races of the year this way? Yeah, this says a lot about GMS Racing. Uh, so many people that work there. We have so much support for this race team. Sam has grown so much over, you know, last year. Really uh, doing a very good job this year and uh, just, uh, you know, got luck on our side right now. I heard you last year a bunch on the radio kind of coaching him through certain things, most notably some restarts. And this year, although it's only been two races, I've noticed that you've been saying good job more than saying, Sam, make sure you do this, that, and the other. Is that go back to what you said about him improving in the offseason, kind of honing, working on his craft? Yeah, there were some restart issues last year. And uh, so far, so good for 2020. Uh, he's really improved, studied, worked hard over the winter, and, and uh, 
it's, you know, I don't even know what to say, really. Nice job. Thanks. Johnny Sauter was best in class for the truck race. It seemed like Jesse Love was best in class for the ARCA West race. But he impressed me at least. Um, and he now leads the point standings after his second place finish in 12 laps led. For some limited experience with full-bodied stock cars on asphalt compared to some of these guys and gals in the field, he really showed his talent and it shined through. Jesse Love comes home with a runner-up finish in his first race of 2020 and his first race for BMR out on the West Coast. You led a few laps early, but then you got passed by Mayer. Was there anything that you could have done differently throughout the course of the race to maybe best him at the end? You know, I'm not sure. Uh, we saved a decent amount, and I ran hard when I needed to run hard. And, um, you know, we'd start, we might have started off a little bit too tight, but that's something that we're going to keep in our memory bank going into Irwindale, and hopefully going to Irwindale will be even better. And I know, that, I know that's a... You know, going to happen. I'm really confident in this uh, Napa Power Premium Plus team and this Napa Toyota that's really fast. So uh, we're going to go in there, uh, hopefully coming to Irwindale with the points lead. And, you know, congrats to Sam and the whole GMS team. They ran really well. So, um, you know, overall, solid night, good points night. Uh, you know, in the big picture, good points night. So we're looking forward to Irwindale. How big was tire conservation tonight? Because it seemed like Sam and you were the two that ran one and two all night long. And it seemed like you guys were also the ones that conserved the most and the best. Yeah. You know, I had a really good car, so it might have looked like I was conserving, but, yeah. um, you know, my car was on a rail the whole time, and, and uh, you know, 21 was just a little bit better, so I had to kind of conserve, uh, you know, not as much as I, as I might have wanted to, but, uh, but um, you know, he was good, so we're going to come back to Irwindale with a little bit more data on uh, how these cars run, and, and we'll be better at Irwindale for sure. How much have you learned tonight and your start at New Smyrna as well? I mean, it's only two races, but I feel like from your perspective, you've probably learned a ton in these two races. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, being able to run for Chris Wimmer in the Super Late model on the East Coast and at Florida, you know, helped me a ton going in the ARCA race and at the ARCA race. Um, I learned a lot there too. So, um, you know, I still got a lot to learn about these type of race cars and how they race and they're still kind of tricky to me. So yeah. um, hopefully I'll be able to figure it out. I, I know I'll be able to figure them out by, uh, by the time that our window comes around and uh, Phoenix next weekend. Open a lot of eyes. Nice job. Thank you so much. Blaine Perkins, he surprised me as well because he outran his Sunrise 4 teammate and ARCA West veteran, almost said Kanan. He outran Trevor Huddleston. So Blaine Perkins comes home with a third place finish. And although he had almost 30 starts in the series to his name entering, he was a surprise to me because Huddleston had a lot of starts in different vehicles at the bull ring. But hey, you got to give a call when you see a good drive. And Blaine Perkins in the nine did exactly that on Thursday. Podium run for Blaine. Blaine Perkins in his first race with Sunrise Ford, his first race of 2020, brings it home with a career best finish, puts it on the podium in third place. Not too bad to start, huh? Yeah, not a bad way to start the year. Just really proud of everybody on this Sunrise Ford, four-star fruit Ford. Um, Bob Riccati for giving me this amazing opportunity to run his car this year. Um, Jeff Schrader, um, Bill Sedgwick, everybody who works on my car and the nine team, they did a great job all weekend. Um, I'm just super proud of everybody and just looking forward to the next one already. I don't think a lot of people may have tabbed you as one of the championship favorites out West per se. They might have even looked at your teammate way before you, but does this maybe send a message to the field and everybody watching that Blaine Perkins is going to be a threat this year? Yeah, that's definitely the goal. I mean, I, fe I felt like once I got into this nine car, um, that was our goal from the get-go. Just be consistent, be there at the end of the races. And everything will line up. The winds will come and be there at the end in Phoenix. Um, I know Trevor's going to be really good, too. He's going to be a tough one. And everybody at the BMR camp. So um, it's just got we got to be on our game. And I think we have, we started off with a great um, finish here. So just really looking forward to our window. We started off. Thank you. Then you had Gracie Trotter in fourth. She surprised me as well at her performance. I thought that 
Uh, she was going to struggle a little bit more right out of the gate, but seems like her extensive asphalt stock car background is uh, paying dividends early on with a rookie-laden field. And Trevor Huddleston rounded out the top five as well. Honestly, not really much else to write home about for this race. It was fine. It just We saw it coming. Sam was fastest in both practices. He won the pole. I believe he set a new track record, but I'm not sure. I, I'm pretty sure he did. Um, and he led every lap but 12. So, <laughs> as you heard, Shades of Iowa, right? Just wanted to lead all of those. But Sam Mayer is your winner in the Star Nursery 150 with the Spencer Clark tribute scheme for GMS Racing. Maybe I'll put in some Wild West music in here now because this was the bounty seen and heard around the world. As rain was in the forecast on Saturday morning and all the people in the media center at Vegas were kind of lamenting that, Twitter was lit. For real. <laughs> so if you live under a rock, here's kind of what happened. Kevin Harvick takes to Twitter to feed off the haters, and he's defending Kyle Busch, basically saying the reason he runs these races is so he can keep his team in business and keep the sponsors happy. Kyle Larson chimes in and basically quote-tweeted Fox's video of him celebrating with some cherry emojis, saying that he's cherry-picking. So then Kevin Harvick chimes in and says, you know what, let's make things fun, and let's put a little bit of money on things. What do you say? So he puts up a $50,000 bounty to any full-time Cup Series driver that can defeat Kyle in the remaining four races in the Truck Series. And then Gander Outdoors CEO Marcus Limonis, who, who you non-NASCAR listeners might know from The Profit as a businessman and entrepreneur, he says, you know what? I'll match that. So 100 grand is on the line for anybody that enters a truck race as a full-time Cup driver and if they can beat Kyle Busch. And it was on from there. <laughs> Kyle was actually not really too happy about it. And he said, basically, I think Jeff Gluck asked him pretty much. And he said, bad things tend to happen when a, you put a bounty on somebody and there's money involved. So there better be an asterisk on it. And if I crash or get crashed, you know, there's got to be some stipulations in there. And of course there will be. And he sounded a little sour. And I think he'll admit that. But uh, this is really exciting. And then tonight comes out that Chase Elliott, Dawsonville's finest, is going to enter the Atlanta Motor Speedway race with GMS Racing. And then a couple hours later, actually an hour ago when I'm recording this, the one that I really wanted to happen, Kyle Larson, GMS Racing, the Truck Series, Homestead Miami Speedway. I am excited for that. That is going to be appointment television because I, <laughs> man, listen, Kyle Larson, before the Cup Series went to the current aerodynamic package, ripping the you-know-what out of the top at Homestead, that was a sight to see. He's going to be able to do that again in a truck where his talent is hopefully going to be able to shine brighter and better than ever. And he's going to be going up against one of, if not the best to ever do it in NASCAR, period. Definitely the best to do it behind the wheel of a truck. I am very, very excited. And Denny Hamlin may have even hinted that there may be a possible third driver doing it. Don't know if it's him. We'll see. And Chase Elliott reportedly, according to Bob Pockris, will also be behind the wheel of the truck at Kansas. So I believe off the top of my head, the, the remaining races for Kyle are Atlanta, Texas, Kansas, and, um, oh, God, I'm forgetting it now. Well, Las Vegas, he did. Texas, Kansas, Atlanta, and somewhere else. Whatever. You guys can look it up, and you know by now. It's late. I got to go to work in a little bit. So we got to wrap it up, so I'm not going to look it up. But let's go on to our next segment.
race preview of Auto Club Speedway this weekend in Fontana, California. Cup and Xfinity Series in action. The Auto Club 400 Sunday at 3.30 p.m. on Fox. That is Easter time, of course. Stages of 60, 60, and 80 laps will be contested. Kyle Busch is the defending winner. Can he repeat and possibly get back on track? Because I think he's finished outside of the top 15 or maybe top. I think Kyle finished 15th at Vegas. So I think he's finished outside of the top 14, excuse me, in the first two races. I'm looking at Ryan Blaney, too, because he could have easily won the first two races of the year, Was had a shot to win at Daytona, was the dominant car, one of at Vegas until that caution came out. So he ran very well, and can he run well again at Fontana this year? Logano, too. Keselowski, too. Penske seems right now like the preeminent organization in NASCAR. I know it's early, and they've surpassed Joe Gibbs Racing for now, but again, this is only two races into a 36-race marathon. It's not a sprint. John Hunter Nemechek is also leading the Rookie of the Year standings. Who would have thought that going into the third race of the year? There's a lot of Kobe Kobe Bryant Bryant driver tributes. That's hard to say because this race is obviously in the greater Los Angeles area. Ryan Blaney with his body armor scheme is purple and gold, decked out for Kobe. William Byron, the number 24, obviously. Exalt is doing a tribute to him. Daniel Suarez has some gloves and shoes that he's honoring Kobe with. Riley Herbst has a custom-painted helmet, and also, if you guys want to support the Mamba on 3 fund, all proceeds of Ryan Blaney's gear is going to that website, mambaon3.org, so I may have to pre-order myself a 164 or a 124 from Lionel as well. Um, It's going to be really cool to see. I I love when sports kind of do cross-promotions like that, and Kobe obviously being the the figure and the athlete that he is and was, um, I think this is a very, very apropos tribute. Jimmy Johnson also Going to be competing in his final race, or so we think at least, at his home track where he earned his first win all the way back 18 years ago in 2002. And apparently he's going to lead the field in a five-wide salute before the green flag flies, so that should be fun to watch as well. Xfinity Series, the Production Alliance 300, Saturday, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on Fox Sports 1, stages of 35, 35, and 70 laps. Defending winner of this race is Cole Custer, and if you guys remember... He actually beat out Kyle Busch in this race last season to win. So Kyle had to wait for his 200th victory. It came the next day, of course, in the Cup Series race. And this race, there are no Cup Series drivers in the field. So that means I'm going to be watching Junior Motorsports. They're going to be tough. Penske, they're going to be tough. Possibly Joe Gibbs Racing with Harrison Burton and Riley Herbst. They're always going to be tough. And hey, man, how about Ryan Sieg? You never know. These big two-mile tracks, they could come down to fuel mileage. Sieg could play spoiler no pun intended, and maybe get up and earn a victory. You never really know. So I'm looking forward to that. But it was really intriguing to see him run up front on pure speed at Vegas. I I cannot stress enough. I literally thought that it was a pit strategy or a gamble, and I did not think that it was just him running up there on pure speed. So, again, guys, Auto Club 400, Production Alliance 300, easy enough for me to say, Saturday and Sunday afternoons on the Fox Family and Networks. Be sure to tune in. Should be a great show at Auto Club in Fontana. Look, that's up the week! Cue that music, white boy. Maybe I'll stay white boy from now on. I don't know. Starting out with a great update from Ryan Newman. It's a long bite from a few people. Uh, Steve O'Donnell, we know him. John Padalak, who's the Senior Director of Safety Engineering. And John Bobo, who's the Vice President of Racing Operations. And now I'm actually going to fade the music out because this is a long bite and we're talking about a serious topic. I'm going to have these three gentlemen outline 
what they had to tell the media and the greater public about the safety procedures that were put in place to assist Ryan Newman on Monday evening at the Daytona 500. I know a lot of the folks in this room will want to hear as many details as possible, um, but today we're only going to outline the procedures and processes we have in place that take place uh, in training. Um, what we can recap in terms of a timeline of what took place at the scene and then the investigation process, what the details will be as we roll through this uh, and give it back to you with more. There's several areas we're not going to touch on today um, as our review continues and also that the HIPAA laws that are in effect as well. So we cannot and we will not talk about anything that details the medical response uh, that may disclose Ryan's personal and protected medical information. So to start off, I want to say thank you to a few folks, and that's the AMR safety team, uh, the folks that work together with them at Advent Health, Halifax Hospital, the Daytona Beach Police Department, and certainly the folks at Daytona International Speedway all working together uh, in this incident. So what we want to provide today is a brief overview of the last lap accident. I want to look at both the medical capabilities that were involved and also the safety systems that were involved. So. Dr. John Padillac is going to lead this for us. Um, he'll explain a little bit more about the process and then give a complete review once we have all our findings in place. So I want to give you a brief chronological report of what took place and the key actions that took place. So the tool truck arrived at the vehicle 19 seconds after it came to rest. Uh, the fireman that you saw with the extinguisher was in that vehicle. One of the three trauma doctors assigned to the safety team for the race arrived at the car at the 33-second mark, and a paramedic entered the vehicle at the 35-second mark. For the next three and a half minutes, two doctors and paramedics attended to Ryan, and at the 4.05 mark, the decision was then made to roll the car over while continuing to help aid the driver. At the 6.56 mark, the car was upright, the extrication team then began cutting the car and a doctor continued to provide treatment. The roof was removed at the 1110 mark and the extrication was completed at 1540 and the driver was then moved to the ambulance for transport. During this entire time, doctors and paramedics were attending to Ryan except at the moment of the car rollover. Working in unison and performing their respective jobs, the first responders perform their jobs as they were trained. The training systems, the safety systems, all worked as were designed, but again, never satisfied with what took place, and we'll learn as much as possible and implement those changes, if there are any, as soon as we can. So I want to hand it over to John Bobo, who will walk you through the training that goes into each event from both a logistics and medical standpoint, and then Dr. Padillac will speak as well. Thanks, Steve. You know, I want to talk about two important uh, parts of this, which is our first response training and our medical procedures and policies. You know, training is a full season unto itself at NASCAR. Before the green flag drops, there's so much that we do each and every week. We are rehearsing and training weekly to create that operational muscle memory uh, for times of crisis. About two months out before each event, we work with our local track partners to conduct trainings that include online, classroom, and hands-on training. The courses cover anything from cleanup, restoration, extraction, and rollover. Uh, every single person working at the track in the safety capacity has to go through that training. On the medical side, we have the NASCAR AMR 
safety team. It's a team of emergency paramedics, physicians, and neurologists who provide a level of service that's, that's just phenomenal. Uh, to date, uh, over the last three years, they've worked 115 cup races and have come to know our competitors well. Another key component to our safety is our local medical and emergency professionals and our relationship with them. We work with our track partners and fully embrace local and medical emergency care. We have learned through the years that these local professionals are a gateway into the highest levels of care and expertise. And that's why we take the time before each race to tour trauma centers to get to know folks at the local level as we can do that. So you put all this together and what you've got is a collaboration of professionals working in concert through the years based on mutual respect and dedication to a singular mission. Now, uh, John Padillac will talk about some of the safety enhancements uh, through the investigation. Thanks, John. Uh, good morning. Regarding NASCAR crash investigation, uh, that begins for us at the racetrack. Um, anytime there's an incident on the track, whether the vehicle is uh, towed or driven back into the garage area, the NASCAR safety officials uh, go to that car and begin the investigation. That typically starts with pictures being taken around the exterior of the vehicle and then also moving to the interior, looking at the driver restraint system, removing the IDR, which is our incident data recorder, and the high-speed camera in the Cup Series. All of that information comes back and begins to populate an incident report, which is housed in our NASCAR crash database. That process was followed for the 6 and 32 cars at Daytona, as well as all the other cars involved in incidents uh, that week. Uh, in the case of the 6 and 32 cars, those, those vehicles were then transported back to the NASCAR Research and Development Center in Concord, North Carolina, uh, for further investigation. Uh, on Tuesday, that started with the laying out of the vehicles in a secure space um, where we have all of the components and associated elements that came from the cars and on the race, racetrack, as well as the driver's safety equipment. Uh, we began to document all of that uh, uh, all of those parts and pieces, all of that equipment, really starting from the outside of the vehicles, slowly working our way in and assessing each of the individual safety systems and how they performed individually as well as together as a complete assembly, and then ultimately how the two cars interacted together during the crash. We have many uh, sources of data that we're pulling from in the investigation. As I mentioned, those include the IDR, the high-speed camera, we're also looking at the ECU data, uh, available telemetry data from the vehicles, and broadcast and non-broadcast video sources. We're currently working on synchronizing all of those data sets together in time. So with the video, that's looking at each video on a frame-by-frame -frame basis, lining those up together in time to create a full picture of what happened as the crash unfolded. Uh, we're working together with Roush Fenway Racing as well as outside experts as we continue to investigate and look forward to being able to provide more information at some time soon. And then on Sunday morning, we were able to get one from Roush Fenway Racing President Steve Newmark, who read a statement on Ryan Newman's behalf. I appreciate all of you guys being here today. Um, Ryan apologizes for not being able to be here, but he did, uh, he did prepare a statement, so if you'll bear with me, I'll, I'll, I'll read through it. I'm sorry that I can't be at the track in person, but I ask Steve to take a moment to express my sincere appreciation and gratitude for all the support that was shown last week to both me and my family. The outpouring of emotion from not only the NASCAR community, but across the country has been truly humbling. I want to personally thank everyone, including the man upstairs, for their support, encouragement, and the numerous offers of assistance. 
We always say that the NASCAR community is one big family, and never has that been more evident to me than after seeing this family rally together and provide the comfort and support that has been shown to my family and me over the past few days. The calls and visits from the NASCAR executives and my friends and competitors have been truly uplifting. I want to thank everyone involved in my care, especially the staff at Halifax Medical Center, where I'm convinced I receive the best care available. I'm confident the efforts of each of those trained professionals played a major role in where I'm sitting today. And to the entire NASCAR organization, led by Jim France, thanks for being by my side the entire time. You truly stepped up to support me unconditionally when it mattered most. Most importantly, I have to thank the guys back at the Roush Fenway Racing Shop that built me a car not only fast enough to lead the final seconds of the Daytona 500, but strong enough to do its job under great distress, allowing me to survive such an accident. I am truly indebted to each of you, and it is unlikely I will ever be able to properly express to you how much the diligent effort with which you conduct your craftsmanship has affected me and my family. I hope you took pride in the photograph of me walking out of the hospital hand-in-hand with my daughters on Wednesday. Thank you. I can't wait to get back in your race car. I was fortunate to avoid any internal organ damage or broken bones. I did sustain a head injury for which I'm currently being treated. The doctors have been pleased with my progression over the last few days. Again, I want to thank each of you, from my partners, teammates, and competitors, and each and every fan across the country. Thank you, everyone, for the unparalleled concern and unwavering support, and to the media who has acted with such respect and class during this time. I've spoken with Jack Roush, and he has assured me that the number six car will be waiting and ready for my return. I'm looking forward to getting behind the wheel and battling for another race win in the Roush Fenway Ford. Ryan Newman. I know that was a lot, but I, I think I owe it to you guys to, to give you updates and keep you posted on all that stuff. And I think at this point, I mean, any update, to be honest, is a good update, um, I think. And, I mean, even today he was at the shop, looked totally fine, was speaking for a Twitter video. He was literally just chilling, chilling like a villain. And I think they also said in one of the pressers that Ryan really wanted his Krispy Kreme donuts, like, the next day when he woke up. So he was still classic Ryan, joking in his jovial fashion. A couple drivers in the media center this weekend also were basically texting. They said that they texted him and were making jokes about his neck and everything. So good to know that, one, Newman is in a joking mood, and, two, the no-neck Newman jokes are still alive and well and better than ever. Lug nut penalties. Chad Johnson fined $10,000 for a loose lug on Kyle Larson's car. Ben Bayshore, crew chief for Harrison Burton, fined $5K. And Matt Noyce, crew chief for Ben Rhodes, fined $2,500. That will wrap things up for episode 43 of the Richard Petty edition of Victory Lane 2.0. I know it sounds trivial. I know I ask every week. Do me a favor. Take two minutes. Rate, review, subscribe. We're on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud. I don't know what accent that kind of morphed into. But in all seriousness, that really helps me out. And I'm kind of getting tired of nagging my friends being like, hey, you subscribe to my podcast. No, I don't listen to NASCAR. It doesn't matter. You want to subscribe and leave me your rating and a review anyway? Sure. I'm just getting kind of tired of doing that. So the OGs, if you subscribe and you rate and you review and you listen, I know. All right? And I appreciate you and I love you. And when I see you at the track or wherever I see you, I'm going to give you a big old hug. And if you're lucky, maybe a little smooch. All right. Too far. I know. Peace and love, everybody. Talk to you next week to recap Fontana and preview Phoenix. It is no longer ISM Raceway. Just remember... What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, boys and girls. Talk to you later.